Hey everyone, so we are here today with somebody who I got a chance to meet on, actually, on, what was that day? Um, oh guys, I'm going to get killed from, uh, where, Juneteenth, Juneteenth, we met mm-hmm. at Antioch AME, I think it was, they were having an event at Antioch mm-hmm. AME. That's right, that's right. So we're here today with Mr. Charlie Belly, everybody give it up, kudos Mr. Belly. <laughs> we have a crew today. Um, who was who running for attorney general for the great state of Georgia. So let's start off there. Like, why attorney general? There's so many positions that are open in this election. Why attorney general? Uh, well, um, Sean, first, thanks for having me uh, and inviting me on. Um, so I ran for and was the nominee, the Democratic nominee for attorney general last time in 2018. Um and you know my reasons for running this time are, are pretty simple in that you know that we got a job that's un, unfinished you know i ran that time um uh, with the values based on the values of fairness uh justice uh safety that everybody that everybody all the time <laughs> that everybody in this state um deserves to have those things you know guaranteed and at the very least uh, their attorney general, who's supposed to be more than anyone, the one that's fighting to preserve that equal fairness and justice and safety, um, uh, ought to be dedicated to those things, not just in words but in deeds. And, and that's kind of how we ran the last campaign, focused on building a civil rights division. No, you're fine. <laughs> Let's move him. Let's move this one, Camille, for him. Move this one over. There you go. Focused on building a civil rights division, uh, building and uh, an organized crime division in the attorney general's office, and as a nominee, got, I got 49 percent, which was the highest vote share of any down ballot statewide Democrat. Um, and you know, on the ballot with Stacey Abrams, we all came, you know, coming so close. Um, but in the three years since that happened, those things that I've been talking about that needed to be done from the attorney general's office haven't been done. Mm-mm. We sit here, we still don't have a civil rights division. Um, we still don't have an organized crime division. And, um, and so uh, I thought that um, we could take that 49% up over the 50% mark this time. We could win it. And so I'm lucky enough to be in the position to offer myself uh, for office, and I think we're going to get it done this time. You know, it's interesting that you say that because one of the things that um, I sit on a meeting probably like every Thursday about crime here in the, the, the it deals with Metro Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, but that's one of the things that has really increased, right? And one of the things that has really increased is gangs in Atlanta or in the Metro Atlanta area, I can speak for, right. and across the state. Yeah. So you mean to tell me as a state, we still don't have an organized crime division? We don't, no, not in the Attorney General's office. Okay. Um, you know, we have. Um, and a little bit about my background, you know, I came out um, of law school. I went to work for Governor Barnes at his firm, um, Barnes Law Group, doing civil litigation. Then I went to the, the Fulton County DA's office, and I was an organized crime and gang prosecutor there. So you have individual DA's offices that, has that have units or divisions. Um, but no, in the attorney general's office, which you're, you're supposed to be as attorney general, the top prosecutor, in the state chief law enforcement official, there is no organized crime division. Um, you know, and you know, it is um, it is a problem that has um, 
it's getting more notice now. It's getting more ink in the papers. But I'll say, you know, I was talking about this in, in 2018, and I was coming from a, an experience of having, you know, as an organized crime prosecutor, um, having stood in courtrooms and asked juries to convict folks of crimes like murder and kidnapping and armed robbery and ask judges to put people away for the rest of their lives. But I'd also stood in those courtrooms and uh, on behalf of the people of Georgia said we're dismissing this case or we're reducing this case. Um, and I sat in the living rooms of the victims and the families of the victims of these crimes. But I also sat in the, in the living rooms of some of the families of the defendants I was prosecuting. And the truth of it is um, the scourge of violent crime and the spinoff of the violence that comes off narcotics trafficking and human trafficking, um, illegal arms trafficking, that's been plaguing a lot of our neighborhoods for a very long time. And this is not new, you know, in, in, a number, in a number of our neighborhoods. And so to be nowhere on this, you know, to, to just go out and have some press conferences and say some buzzwords that some consultant told you to say, um, but to not be doing the deeds, not be doing the work um, of actually trying to save uh, lives, both the victims of the crime and, and frankly, a lot of the young folks that, that the leaders of these organized crime syndicates pull in, and you and I have talked about this before, <clears throat> the focus of my organized crime division is not going to be supplant anything that a local district attorney is doing. It's to supplement. It's to do those kind of long-term prospective investigations that target the leaders of the syndicates, the ones really making the money, making the major money on it. And you start to crack down on them, put some of them in prison, frustrate their ability to move their money around. That's how you frustrate their ability to go into our schools and our communities and pull young people out. Because they, frankly, and excuse my language, but they don't give a damn about those kids. They don't give a damn about them. And they are just grist in the mill for them to make money. And that path for a lot of those young folks, and I don't need to tell you this, um, but with, with few exceptions, it leads one of two places, to, uh, to prison or to the coffin. And so you have to be, you know, you have to be somewhere. You, know, you have to be with the great power you've been given, um, uh, taking steps um, to protect folks. And if four years we save 100 lives, and think about the many hundreds and thousands of, of, of aunts and, and, and uncles and nephews and nieces and sons and daughters and mothers and fathers that will have those people. So I know you asked a simple question. We don't have one. No, we don't have one, and these are the, you know, these are the consequences. But that's what, uh, that's what I see building in the attorney general's office and, and supplementing what uh, local authorities are, are trying to do. And that's interesting, too, that um, from a state perspective that we don't even have a civil rights division. Yeah. Um, so what is your vision for the civil rights division? Like, what do you, because I thought that was actually a great answer, even though it was, you think it was long, I thought it was great, because yeah. people need to understand when you just say um, organized crime, what is it that you actually stand for when you talk about organized crime? Right. So what is it that you see as a vision for a civil crime? Civil rights division. Civil rights division, I'm sorry. No, 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 it's fine. Um, so, you know, we sit here, let me say, you know, we sit here in the, in the Empire State of the South, mm -hmm. uh, the cradle of the civil rights movement, <clears throat> and to not, to not have a civil rights, I mean, it's just a, that alone 
I think is disqualifying. And I'll just a note again, I campaigned on these things in 2018. Anybody can admit a mistake, correct it, move forward. We still it's three years later, we still don't have one. So that shows not only an ignorance, um, but just a lack of priority. Right. Period. Um, you've had plenty of chances. So the Civil Rights Division, we would model it on, you know, there's several examples. Um, Washington, state of Washington has a, uh, um, a very good and very well thought of Civil Rights Division, state of Massachusetts as well. Actually, the, the Attorney General of Massachusetts, uh, Mar Healy, uh, was the head of the Civil Rights Division prior, the head of the AG's Civil Rights Division prior to being um, the Attorney General, elected Attorney General. And, it, you know, you could also think about it, the federal government, the DOJ has a civil rights uh, division division as well. So it's everything from um, cracking down on discrimination in employment um, and in housing and lending um, to uh, pattern and practice investigations of, of either agencies or rogue elements within law enforcement agencies that are... Um, violating people's civil rights. Those are complex investigations. Um, they take some time. I also think they take understanding law enforcement and understanding prosecution. Um, and I'll give a, you know, these are, we're talking in kind of general concepts, but I'll give a specific example um, that I know, you know, just about everybody knows something about, and I know you know well, but in Mount Arbery, uh, murder in, in Brunswick, and you might say, well, what does that got to do with the Attorney General? Well, in the state of Georgia, uh, the way the law works is when a district attorney recuses himself, uh, his or herself, from a case, by operation of law, that becomes the Attorney General's case. Right. So when Jackie Johnson <clears throat> recused herself two days, two or three days after uh, the murder, um, that became Carr's case. That became the attorney general's case. And she inappropriately suggested her replacement. You're not supposed to do that. You're also, as the attorney general, that's a massive red flag. But does because Carr doesn't prioritize civil rights, nor does he understand prosecution, he rubber stamps that on the very same day. So she recommends Barnhill. He says yes, boom. Barnhill gets the case. No investigation. No, no conversations about. Hmm. Let's see. You've got um, a young, unarmed black man uh, gunned down in the middle of the road um, in broad daylight. You've got one person that's former law enforcement there. Maybe, just maybe, there might be other connections and other conflicts with other local law enforcement or DA's offices. I mean, in it, I'm from small town, you know, Georgia. I'm from Harris County, Georgia, where you know it's kind of a trite saying, but like everybody knows each other. Like particularly when you get in, in smaller areas, like and when you're within a field like law enforcement and prosecution, it is not, you know, it is a normal thing that a lot of folks would know each other. But instead of even asking the questions, all right, which doesn't take very long. I mean, you could take about two days max and figure out that Barnhill himself had a conflict, which he did, but the Attorney General didn't even look at it because, frankly, didn't really care. I mean, that, that's really when it gets down to it. When somebody cares about something, 
they give it time and they give it resources. When they don't, then they treat it as he was quoted in the intern- in, in the uh, AJC as saying it's really just an administrative task. The statute says it is not an administrative task. It is a, it is a th- authority granted solely to the attorney general to determine when someone recuses. Do I keep the case? Do I send it to another district attorney, or do I appoint what's called a district attorney pro tempore? A private attorney that, for that matter, will act in the attorney general's name as a district attorney. That is not an administrative duty. That is a serious, serious um, uh, legal responsibility of the attorney general. So, because Carr didn't take it serious, does not prioritize it, doesn't have a civil rights division that might have noticed, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe we ought to look at this. This ain't like somebody's cousin got picked up, you know, a DA's cousin got picked up for uh, shoplifting. So, okay, we sent it to another DA. You could do something like that in a day. This is something else. Um, that lack of prioritization of civil rights and the lack of understanding of uh, prosecution led to a situation where the case is sent to Barnhill. And but for that video being leaked, when that video was leaked and we all saw it, you know, everyone in the world saw it. It was, you know, everybody was rushing to, oh my, I mean, it was, it was, we witnessed a murder and it was horrible. And then everybody started running to what can we do about it? And at that point, I think the GBI took the correct steps, but the GBI shouldn't have found out about it on that day. Right. You know, if Carr had done his job, GBI would have brought in two and a half months prior to that. And, but for that video being leaked, Barnhill was about to dismiss that case. And if he'd have done that, then we'd, we'd all be sitting here. We wouldn't. It would be another case uh, where an injustice lingers because of the naivete and, and the ignorance and, frankly, the, the lack of care of the attorney general. So, and this is a question that always kind of um, throws me, is I, I speak to a lot of different DAs around the state, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times they they're always going back to resources, right? They don't have the resources to look into every case. They don't have the resources to investigate every case. Are we not doing ourselves a dishonor by by not giving them the resources they need to to be able to do it? Because there's a lot of people who are prosecuted for crimes and they sit around waiting forever and they lose a lot in the process right. just to wait two years for a case to be dismissed or thrown out or charges to be downgraded or whatever the case may be. But that's two years of a person's life where. Um, they, 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 that you really just can't give back. Are we giving the resources that we need to our local districts and our attorney's office and as a state as a whole? No. And we're not giving it to our public defender's office offices um, and our uh, circuit um, uh, conflict defenders and our judges. There's a whole lot of folks, and I'll say, you know, as you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a partisan. I'm a Democrat. I got, I got friends that are Republicans. My father's a Republican, but I'm, I'm a Democrat. Um, but I'm, I'm just going to flat out say this is on – the Republicans have been in charge of the state for 20 years. And they are the first ones that love to talk about supporting law enforcement and, and wanting you know, world-class criminal justice. And uh, what is it – how many people have said that you know, budgets are moral documents? Mm-hmm. Um, if you do not resource it, you don't really care about it. You want to be able to say the buzzwords. You want to be able to have the press conference. You want to be able to act like you support them. But but you don't. Our DA's offices, our solicitor's offices, our PD's office, public defenders, our judges are vastly underfunded. 
um, and you and I have talked about this before, but that that kind of situation, it, what it creates, and you is a lot of times one of two things. Um, you got detectives that have way too big a caseload, mm-hmm. way too big a caseload to properly investigate all the you know the cases they have. Um, you don't have enough assistant district attorneys to properly investigate cases before you indict them. And so when you have that kind of situation, one of two things can, can happen many, many times. One, you don't collect all the evidence that was there to collect. I'll give you an example. I saw, saw this, you know, many times. Uh, a lot of like gas stations or, you know, uh, city lights that have cameras on them, um, those things uh, don't stay forever. They, they re you know, they erase and record over mm-hmm. after a certain amount of time. If you don't get out there, like sometimes within days, and and download that footage, it's gone. And so you may have, if you could have gotten out there and downloaded the footage, maybe you see that the person that you know that Johnny said did it wasn't nowhere near. Wasn't yeah. that wasn't him or her? You know, um, the, and it, but it goes, and so you keep keep somebody in jail for. A year, year and a half, two years, um, which is a—I mean, we just kind of say that, but that is—who who would give up their life for a year mm-hmm. to be incarcerated, all because it's a mistake? I mean, in the other way that works is you don't get the evidence, and maybe the person you got—they did really do it. You know, they stuck a gun in, in some poor cashier's face that's just trying to you know working. A job for minimum wage to help their family, and maybe they shoot them, and they're a dangerous person, and they need to go to prison. But because everybody's so overloaded, they don't get out there. They don't talk to all the witnesses. They don't get video, and it comes down two years later, year and a half later, uh, you're coming up for trial. You ain't got the evidence. You got to reduce the case. You got to dismiss the case. Maybe they get two years, and and they should be going away for twenty or more. Um, so it is a disservice to the accused. It is a disservice to the victims. It is a disservice to the community at large. And it all stems from a bunch of politicians that want to talk and they don't do. Um, and so uh, if, if folks are, I don't care what political party you're a member of, if you are committed to a world-class criminal justice system, we're going to have to pay for it, just like anything else. Um, and it's not uh, what I'm saying is not even rocket science. But if you've not, if you don't care, or you haven't been in it, like you know, like you have, you understand these issues. But you got a lot of politicians down in Atlanta; they don't know an organized crime syndicate from this microphone, right? You know? <laughs> and they've never sat in a victim's living room. They never sat in a defendant's family's living room. They never stood in court and heard the stories, felt the weight and the gravity of what's going on there, um, and so they don't prioritize it. And another another thing is that literally, like, um, I have a friend who's an attorney, and her quote is that she said, always says she says sometimes the um, the, um victim is the well the victim is not the one that's listed on the paper, right? And sometimes it could be the um the person who's accused, right? Because we have we have so many different cases and so many different crimes now where people there and don't get me wrong, I don't say I say this to say this. That a lot of people who are in jail probably deserve to be there, right? Seventy percent of them, but thirty percent is still too high for for a country that promotes itself to be the example to the world. 
And I, and this is probably where I differ a little bit because yeah, we could throw more money at it, but we're throwing more money at a bad problem or bad bad solutions then it's just throwing my money at bad solutions. I think that most of it is policy, right? We looked at a case, um, I, I don't want to say his name, but we looked at a case where a young man was shot by a police officer and we were invited in by the DA's office to go and look at all the evidence. And what they did is that they presented us the evidence, they showed us how they presented it to the grand jury, um, and they showed us the um, the um, law and the policy, right? And that's it, they didn't give us any, they didn't tell us, and you were there, Camille, they didn't tell us like what to think or what not to think, reread the law, reread what the policy was and based upon what we've seen and based upon what the policy was we came to the conclusion that the officer was justified in shooting the young man does that mean a young man should have been shot no i still go back and say he shouldn't have been killed right that somebody's sitting home without their child but the reality is is that it was a policy issue and i think that a lot of these things that we have issues with have to be policy i think that it needs to be like on a da's office to at least spend five five hours at least if you have a case on actually looking over the case investigating the case because we know that a da's office can um, indict anybody it, it's no big deal it seems like for for regular people like us the only person that a da can't indict is a police officer right mm-hmm. um but the average person can be indicted anytime and, and there's things we found out like we found out i didn't know that in the state of georgia if you get indicted of course there's nobody in the room but the da's office except Except when it's a police involved incident, then the police officer is allowed to at least testify within his grand jury hearing. He can't stay in there the whole time. I get that part. But he has a voice in that grand jury process. Right. Um, And I think that makes a huge difference. That's, you know, I think that makes a huge difference. Where do you stand on the grand jury process? Like, do you believe that it is okay the way it is? Do you feel like it needs to be amended some? Or do you feel like we can have a system? And I've spoken to other DAs who'd be like, you know what? I would rather have a, just a, a charge system and except for the, the nine deadlies is what they call it. Is that mm-hmm. the seven. seven deadlies? Except for the seven deadlies, right? Those need to go through indictment. But any other case, we can just prosecute and take it forward from there. And I think that for me as a person, like, I, I deal with the system, right? Um, I know what indictment means. I know what somebody being charged means. I know the difference between them. But for me, when I hear the word indictment, before I knew what it was, when I heard the word indictment, I'm like, oh, yeah, shake your hands of it. They have to be guilty. They've been indicted. Right. And as you find out, like, they don't have to be guilty. They could have just been indicted because it's one side of the story. And the DA is the only one who stands in the room and paints the picture. Yeah, so I think, you know, and there's different states that have for instance, you know, my, my best friend's a, uh, a senior assistant district attorney in uh, New Orleans and mm-hmm. in, in uh, Jefferson Parish. Um, Louisiana has a different system where they can, so there are crimes in Georgia that we can, it's called accused. You have an accusation as opposed to an indictment. And the accusation does not have to go before a grand jury. Now, that doesn't give more protections to the accused. That's a that's an easier way to formally charge someone. The result is the same. You're formally charged with a crime, whether it's an accusation or indictment. In Georgia, there's legally no uh, distinction at all. You're going to go before a judge then, and there'll be a process where, you're, uh, where your attorney can challenge um, either factually, on a factual basis or legal basis, why you should have been charged what you did, and you get through that process and discovery and then have a trial or you plead or it's dismissed or whatever but whether you are accused whether it's an accusation or an indictment 
it doesn't matter. So I actually, and so in, in Louisiana, for instance, they can accuse a lot more. Mm-hmm. There's less that goes to the grand jury. I think I like having more crimes go to the grand jury because it is an added layer. You're absolutely right. The vast majority of people that are brought before their cases brought for the grand jury, they are true billed, as it called, as opposed to no bill means no indictment. True bill means they're indicted. Vast majority, but it does allow another layer of protection. I've presented cases to uh, grand jury before, and I've had questions from uh, the grand jurors about things. Now, maybe it didn't end up in the case being no billed. But what it did is say, actually, I hadn't thought of that. You know, I mean, it it, it does allow um, for prosecutors to see what are the weaknesses in the case. Maybe we don't need to go forward with this. Maybe we need to pull this one back and, you know, do some more investigation before we put forward. So it is another layer of protection. Um, that just switching it over and saying we're going to do it all through accusation gives less protection to the accused uh, constitutionally. Um, On the uh, police officers being the only people that can sit in on grand jury proceedings, I don't agree with that. Um, You know, and police officers should not be treated differently than other accused. They should not be given more rights uh, than other folks. We, I think we need to reform that. Um, and that's not a, look, I was endorsed by the Police Benevolent Association last time. I got my phone is filled with friends that are, you know, detectives and officers and that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I think we need to um, provide, well, I think we need to treat law enforcement as a profession. And that means, you know, um, requiring more of law enforcement, but also paying them more. Um, and you and I have talked about this. Uh, there's a, a friend of mine who's a sheriff in Burke County, Georgia, which is right outside of Augusta, um, Alfonso Williams. And this is a county that is, you know, politically like 50-50. Like I won it by like 100 votes when I ran last time. Biden lost it by like 100 votes. Hmm. Um, it has a significant African-American population, um, maybe upwards of, you know, 38%. Uh, maybe a little bit higher. And, you know, Alfonso talks about, listen, if all I can pay somebody is $29,000, $30,000, then is, is it any surprise that I get somebody that's just somebody's nephew that just graduated high school and went six weeks of academy, now we're going to give them a gun and a badge? I mean, if we're going to treat it as a profession, we need to pay it like a profession and require more. You know, one thing that that, that uh, Alfonso, that the sheriff has come out for and that I have as well is, um, and this is getting away from the grand jury question, but it goes into, you know, how we view and, and treat law enforcement, um, requires, you, you have to go through post-certification. Mm-hmm. You have to be post-certified to be a peace officer, law enforcement officer in the state of Georgia. Um, and they have their processes, background checks, they do, but they don't have FBI background check or equivalent thereof. And I am going to be, uh, I've come out for, and I, when I'm Attorney General, I'll be pushing for adding that into state law um, as a part of the post-certification process. You have to pass an FBI background check or equivalent thereof before you can even be a peace officer or law enforcement officer in the state. That's part of, and that would catch 
these folks that are, you know, and we've seen examples of it, you know, frankly, either temperamentally or uh, because they are racist and prejudiced, because they're violent, they don't need to have, the last thing they need is a gun and the ability to restrict somebody's freedom. Mm-hmm. That added um, increased scrutiny would catch those folks. And it makes, safe, makes it safer for the thousands of beat officers and detectives that aren't like that, you know, that are good folks that risk their lives every day. And I think the vast majority of law enforcement, it falls into that category. Um, but when you're requiring more, you, you got you got to pay more. Um, to, you know, Stacy used to talk about this when we campaigned together in 2018. She used to quote, and, and I don't know what the stat is now, but it probably is not much different. It may be a little bit worse, but she used to quote that about a third of law enforcement in the state of Georgia, whether it's local, state, or otherwise, uh, does not make a, a living wage. Now, I mean, that's outrageous. And, and it also is no surprise then that sometimes you end up with folks that ain't qualified to be there. You know, being a beat officer, you got to be smart. You got to be quick. You got to be understanding. You got to be clever. You got to be able to think on your feet. You got to be able to understand. I mean, you are coming into contact with sometimes dangerous people, sometimes just people in the community. And being able to discern what is a danger to you or others in the community and what is not is a really hard thing to do. And uh, we need to, uh, frankly, pay it like it is. Um, and I think if we if we treat it more like a profession, we require more, and we actually honor it more with money, you know, um, I think the results will be better. Yeah, I was actually um, meeting with a, a, a DA recently, and I was surprised to know that they didn't even have. I forgot what it, one of the benefits. What did I said the benefit that they said they didn't have, um, like a retirement kind of plan, yeah. right? And I thought it was crazy. Um, these are people who, and again, I guess, and we had the same mythology, well, we had the same way of thinking in restaurants, right? So we used to always have going to meetings, and we'd be like, why are we getting the crappiest of the crappiest, right? <laughs> and no, not to restaurants industry, right? Well, why are we getting the worst of the worst? But the reality was that we had to take a step back and be like, well, we're only paying people at the most $7.50 an hour. What do you expect to get for $7.50 an hour? Um, and that's not to say people who make seven dollars fifty cents an hour don't please don't message me. Um, you still do a great job, all right. But you should be paid more. You should be paid. You, you should, should be paid, paid more. more. People. Oh God, let me not have that discussion in this room. <laughs> well, people work. People do work better when they when they get paid more, and that's I mean, and that's just a reality. I think about even times where I have literally, um, I've literally worked in places, and I'll be like, oh well, you know, I'm only making this amount, and I won't do it the way I won't, would normally do it if I was making more. Um, and I don't know. I think there's I think there's a fine border, but it's interesting to know that people who have so much, and even judges, judges are not that high paid. They're not like bringing home the bank every week. Um, <laughs> and it's not just something. So as a state, I think we need to do better in that category. Yeah. And that's something that the attorney general can. I mean, I know that you guys can't just go and do it with the sound of a pen, but right. you can have you have a voice in the room, right? Well, yeah. So and that's the thing is, that, yeah. No, I can't through fiat just right. say, all right, this is the law, but. You know, um, matters what the attorney general says, particularly around these issues. Um, and you know, you got to be willing to use the bully pulpit. I mean, if the attorney general calls a press conference, they're going to show up, right? You know, I'll be submitting a legislative proposal every single session. 
with the things that I think need to be changed, added to law, um, removed from the code, um, what kind of funding we need. And I'm going to use my political capital to get it done. That's having meetings uh, with the members of the state house and the state senate, meeting with the governor, whoever the governor is. Hopefully it's going to be Governor Stacey Abrams. <laughs> Hopefully it's It'll be a much easier meeting. <laughs> um, and I think it will be. But uh, to, to, to push for those things. But also, you, you try with the honey first, right? You don't put people on blast right out, right out right. the gate. You try to just win people over. Best case scenario, win them over. You, you change the law. You add the funding wherever you need. And then everybody moves forward. Look at this thing we did, like creating a state retirement system for law enforcement. You know Florida has this. Mm-hmm. Florida's beating us on something. I mean, that ain't good. But they've had it for years. And this is something that law enforcement, you know, um, a lot of my friends talk about, you know, a lot is they don't have a, they don't have uh, an ability to build up in a retirement. Now, now some local uh, agencies might, but it is not a state retirement system where everybody can pay in, which will get everybody better returns anyway. Um, The state should do that. If we actually honor law enforcement, if we actually care about public safety, the safety of our communities, you know, we should do something like that. But with a legislative proposal, if there's things that they don't, the legislature or the governor doesn't back, like you got to be willing and I will be willing to travel the state and go into every community and talk to the local paper and the local TV station and tell them exactly uh, which one of their representatives or, or state senators voted against their public safety and against their criminal justice system and, and who didn't. So that's the stick. And you got to be willing to, to, to use it because there is a lot of power in the advocacy role of the attorney general that it is just, you know, not used at all now. So another two quick questions. I think, you know, uh, past the time, but two quick questions I did have for you. Yep. Um, I talked too much. That's I, what I, no, it's fine. The trial lawyer, get on here, man. Ask one question. No, no, Sorry. No, no. The first one is this, right? So today you're Charlie Bailey, right? You're just Charlie Bailey, attorney Charlie Bailey, because you still have the attorney part. Charlie's fine. Um, what happens when you become, well, how do you stay humble when you become, if you become, if you grant the opportunity to become? Um, what happens when or if you become the next attorney general for the state of Georgia, what does Charlie do to keep himself humble? If that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, yeah, no, no, it makes sense. Um, I mean, I think I've got a, uh, um, I've, I've got a girlfriend that keeps me in line um, that uh, gives me hell. I've got a mother um, and that brought me up. Uh, you ain't, you know, you ain't no better than anybody else, and you got to prove yourself, and you got to work in the right direction every day. Um, and so, look, we're all human, and so we're all susceptible to. Um, oh, look at me! I'm so, you know, great. I mean, that, that's a human fallibility we have. Right. Um, I hadn't been in the situation before, so, but I, you know, uh, I, I think most people that know me would say um, that I am not somebody that is in it for some sort of self-aggrandizement. Um, you know, so I, I, don't, I don't really, even um, when I was the, the Democratic nominee last time and I got to introduce 
now Vice President Kamala Harris, she was then a United States Senator, she came to town and uh, and campaigned with, with me and, and, and Stacy, and I got to introduce uh, Vice President Harris, and then and then she introduced Stacy, and it was on CNN and MSNBC and all that kind of thing. Like I didn't think of myself as like anything other than me. Yeah. You know, um, I'm just you know lucky to be enough lucky enough to be in a position to you know try to work to make folks' lives a little bit better than it was before I got the job. So that's really just the way I think about it. I don't. I don't think about myself any different. And the last question is that, and you kind of answered it already, um, but it's more so aligned. Like, are you willing, as when you become attorney general, to actually have town halls, to actually hear what the community feels about the system, how it needs to be adjusted? Because one of the things that we try to do at Black Push is that we're not so left or to the right to where we say, okay, forget law enforcement, we don't need them, right? Defund sure. police. No, we're not that. I'm, well, I'm not that. Some people in here probably will be defund, but not nobody in the room today will probably be defund police, but I'm not, right? I believe that we need law enforcement, but we need to be able to hold law enforcement accountable when sure. they're wrong. But at the same time, law enforcement needs to be able to hold people accountable. Like, they shouldn't be so afraid to do their job that they won't make the arrest that they should make. So, would you commit to doing something where like maybe once a month or maybe every quarter where you actually have townhouse and hear what the community is having to say um and like you say hit the road with it absolutely no that's going to be a um a staple of of my administration because anybody even with the best intentions if you're so isolated and you're so much in just you, you talk to your advisors and the people close around you and you don't get out there and even attempt to hear what what you know what folks are going through, what their concerns are, um, I think you do a great disservice to yourself and certainly to the community uh, and the state that you represent. Secondly, I just like that. You know, like I, I like people. There's a reason I decided to be a, you know, a trial lawyer that's you know standing in court and talking to juries and dealing with. I mean, I like to hear. I like to interact with people. I like to hear what their thoughts are. I'm not. A, I'm not scared. Of any question I can say I don't know <laughs> I can say I'm not sure but I'll, I'll get you an answer um, and uh, so in short yes I'll commit I'm gonna commit to doing that it's gonna be part of uh, a regular practice that we have and I look forward to as Attorney General partnering with y'all and you know what other organizations you know want to to get the people out you know that I need to hear from so last thing, look at the camera here, I guess, and tell everybody where they can find out more information about you, your website, all that great stuff. All that stuff. So I'm Charlie Bailey. I'm running for attorney general. Uh, the website is charlieforgeorgia.com, all spelled out. Uh, we are on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and you can find it. As, just type in Charlie Bailey, attorney general. It'll come up on all those platforms. Um, you know, like follow, share, check out, um, you know, the content we're putting up, you know, I expect to earn every single vote I get, but we'd love to have any of the help. And if you want to throw some dollars our way, you know, that's always uh, helpful as well. We got to, we got to run a campaign. I get enough emails from you guys <laughs> through the Democratic Party, like I really do. But we want to thank Mr. Bailey today for coming on. And, um, and one of the things I do appreciate about you, I told somebody this from day one, is that when we met for lunch, like every question we had asked, and even the people I invited to the meeting at the same time, you answered every one. So um, I appreciate that. So we thank him for his time today. Please go and check out his website, see his platform, educate yourself on who he is and what he stands for. 
and we wish you all the luck on this election. And we're going to end by just saying, um, for those who are still remembering, or for those who lost people on 9-11, even for those who didn't lose anybody actually in the plane crashes, you have family members who went to Afghanistan or Iraq. Um, we're here, we're praying with you as a country, as I can speak for myself, I'm pretty sure Mr. Bailey as a country, as an organization, um, we still feel the weight of that day and we um, remember every second of it. So we're still praying with you and remember that we're all in this together. So right. thank Mr. Bailey for coming out. Thank you for answering the questions today. Always. And, um, thank you for, uh, actually give a shout out to Ari who's been on the podcast before for being our tech, <laughs> two fingers up, technology person today. So um, kudos to everybody today. Thank yeah. you for your time. Thanks brother. I appreciate it. Absolutely.